My guest today on Never Ever Give Up Hope is Marilee Rabasa. She was a lifelong substance user, food, pills, cigarettes, and alcohol were the solution to the stresses of everyday life. And just like her, many others have the same problem. One thing that Marilee said that I really appreciated is addiction is a stealth predator. Unrecognized it will grow and flourish. Unchecked it destroys. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Grant. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. My guest today is Marilee Rabasa. And I know that you are going to sincerely appreciate what she is going to share. Not just her, her story and her journey from being an addict to recovering, but also what she has to share of the insights she experienced along the way. And the book that she has just released, which is called Stepping Stones. I appreciate Marilee and what she has gone through, and I thank her so much for being a guest on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Welcome, Marilee. Hi. Thank you, Carol. Glad to be here. A question that I have often wondered, and I'm sure my audience does as well. Many things contribute to someone becoming an addict. I have certainly interviewed many on my show, and, and it's always interesting to hear how this all progressed. So in hindsight... What do you think triggered your addiction initially? And then carry us through a little bit of what happened. I mean, my goodness, addiction has so many faces and forms. And, and <clears throat> I, when I was a young child, food was my addiction. That was my first substance that I reached for. Uh, and, you know, I in, in my book from Charlotte's Web, it said, I didn't want food. I wanted love. I think you know, it's it's too easy to say people use this or that for this or that reason. I was unhappy. I was an unhappy child. And so I turned to food. But then, then that grew and that grew. Um, I was very obese when I was 19. And so my mother took me to a diet doctor because she was worried about my appearance. And then I got into amphetamines for 10 years. Of course, I'd been smoking since I was 14, and then later on in life, I turned to alcohol. So there are all these substances that I 
uh, you know, use. I mean, everybody has different things that they're dealing with. I was depressed. I was simply depressed, and I wanted to uh, be elevated from that feeling. I'm glad you said depressed because I I think that a lot of people are experiencing that, even in what is going on in our world today. This is definitely, you know, a huge factor. So I thank you for bringing that up. And I'm sure that, you know, as we go through the interview today, you'll have other things to contribute in that, in that area. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Angie. Okay. Well, in, in my first book six years ago, I, she, she, she's been a, a, a substance user for almost 20 years when she was a recent college graduate. She, uh, she was 21. Um, here is a, a beautiful young woman who had her whole life ahead of her, but she fell into the rabbit hole of first it was methamphetamine. And I was blindsided, though I shouldn't have been. And I talk about that in the book a lot about how there were signs way back in Italy. Um, there were signs that I was that I didn't pay close enough attention to. She fell into methamphetamine, cocaine, and then heroin and has been in and out of recovery and mostly out for 18 years. So, you know, what, what, what can I tell you about it? That, that along with what had already been weighing me down in my life, uh, what, 18 years ago, I had to face this and learn how to live with this. And this was a real turning point for me because this, my daughter, you know, I often say, how can I go into recovery on the bones of my own child? She's my middle child. I have three children, and they're all very close in age. She's my middle child. She has an older brother and a younger sister. So when she was 21, she 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 became an addict. So this is how I got into recovery, through the back door, sort of, in another organization to help parents and family of people who have children um, or know someone who has a serious addiction problem. And that's how I got into the rooms of recovery. But even that has been a very long process where I've started to take the focus. Well, I've taken the focus off my daughter and put it back on myself because even throughout that battle with um, trying to save Angie, I put her through four rehabs. I was drinking. Now, never dysfunctionally. I never missed a day of work. That's the problem. There were no consequences. So it just was, it continued, you know, the end of the day drink. We all, you know, we all have our means to relax and Mm -hmm. Calgon take me away. But I, but it was getting worse. And anyway, that, that, that'll lead to another part of our talk. But Angie, yeah, she, she was, she was the person, she was uh, the reason why I started to get into recovery in the first place. Isn't that interesting that watching what was happening to somebody else, especially someone close to you, mm-hmm. is the reason that brought your healing around? Well, mirrors, you know, mirror, mirror. Uh, she she and I are mirror images of each other. And I think because, and that was the most heartbreaking thing of all, that I would, that my own child, that I had to look at this close up, what I might have become, um, it, it's been unbelievably painful, but, um, and there's a lot of guilt. I don't know if you wanted to talk about guilt at this point, but sure, uh, go ahead. guilt is one of the most crippling emotions there is because it, um, you know, it, it puts us at risk for moving boundaries, for moving healthy boundaries. Um, I believed that she got her problems from me. 
again, I was putting myself in a position of responsibility over responsibility. And I felt that it was absolutely up to me to, to fix her, to change her, to save her. And I did everything I could for rehabs. And, but I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes along the way. I enabled her very badly. And I think guilt puts us at risk for doing that. We, um, that's why recovery has been so life-changing for me and for so many other mothers because we learn about the concept of detachment with love. We don't walk away from our children. We just learn to put things in perspective. And again, the whole process of recovery has educated me about addiction. Uh, so many people still in this country think it's a moral failing that you know these kids just weren't raised right. They had terrible parents. Well, that's not true. Um, and, and so I, I've educated myself. I've learned a lot about addiction. It's a terribly cruel disease, Carol, because it kills addicts often before it actually kills them. It kills their minds. And that's been one of the hardest things that I've had to live with is because I still hear from her sometimes, very bitter, angry emails. It's hard because she's changed so profoundly. I think there's a lot of, I think many years of, of drug addiction and abuse can cause a lot of brain damage. How has it affected uh, her siblings? Well, she treated her brother very badly regarding his children. And I don't think he's ever, she threatened him and was angry with him, you know, because he wasn't willing to help her. He's very bitter about that. Uh, he doesn't have, you know, her, her siblings do not have the recovery that I have, the recovery program. Right, right. Her sister is, is a lot more not bitter and angry. She's just detached. And they live in the same town. They both live in San Francisco. So so it's it's been hard. I said in my other book that it's like a bomb exploding in your living room and the shrapnel hits people. And Of course. It's, it, it's terrible. And her father, of course, tragically, he died almost four years ago. Um, and she didn't see him before he died. Aww. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really not pretty. Um, but all the more reason for me to stay firmly yes. in my recovery because I could and did. Uh, 12 years ago, I had a complete breakdown. And I knew that I had to do something to save my own life if I was going to avoid going down the rabbit hole with her, including drinking, of course. My father died of alcoholism much too soon. So I didn't want history to repeat itself. So you've seen it from virtually every perspective. Yes, yes. I, I've I've been around the block. This is a side issue because we haven't finished talking about your story yet, of course. But have you been able to use what happened to you to help others? Oh, many times. I mean, people who have read my books, um, I still get feedback about the book I wrote six years ago. It's other mothers. Basically, I know who my who who reads my books. Other mothers who are struggling to live with, you know, the loss of a child. Sometimes just, you know, they're not lost, they're still there, but they're, but they're not there. And many, of course, have, have buried their children um, and had that closure. So I've helped them. I still get, you know, I get, with this book, I've gotten lots and lots of, um, of feedback, emails, good reviews. I mean, you know, people say, um, so I still read your book uh, when I need help. So the thing is, I, I am simply um, voicing the voice of so many other mothers and addicts. I mean, it's all over the internet. 
um, I'm just one of many, and I'm just adding my voice to many that have already um, been out there. Yeah, it's made a difference, and it's made me feel very glad that I made this effort. The The writing of the books for me was a cathartic and healing experience. It's not so much, you know, I'm, I'm not a career writer. I'm a retired teacher. But for me, healing came from writing. I've been writing all my life. Every time I want to clarify something or figure something out, I write it down. I have a diary. And every morning I keep a gratitude journal. It keeps things focused where I want them to be focused. And I learn from writing. But that's just me, I guess. Often need want to find answers. So I start writing something. And then by the time I've finished, I found an answer. So it's a tool. It's just a tool like many recovery tools that I have used and, and enjoy. And I write about a lot of other things too. I write funny stories. <laughs> I think that that's very therapeutic for a lot of people. Yeah. So Marilee, when you realized that you were spiraling downward, now I know that you did address this a little bit and it certainly helped because you were there to help your daughter that, that in essence helped you. And I understand that. And I'm glad that you shared that. What brought you the strength to be able to say no when possibly in the past that didn't happen because now you you became determined what changed there well 12 years ago I had a nervous breakdown Carol and I had to retire from a job that I loved that was my bottom okay that was and from there you asked where I got the strength I did retire um but that's when I uh took my recovery program more seriously. That's when I was willing to take those first three spiritual steps to let go of what I cannot control, believe something else could, and then ask him to. And that, so I, I, it was like the weight of the world was taken off my shoulders. I was not responsible anymore. I did not have to you know, save my daughter. The only person I could save was myself. And I had a lot of work in that regard to do that. So the uh, ironically, the breakdown, my bottom was what got me moving up in recovery. Do you think that that's quite normal? Is that normal? Uh Well, some people might just stay in a sanitarium for the rest of their lives. I had my my grandchildren started coming. And I started to find another, you know, other voices calling to me, you know, I found other inspiration in my life to keep going. I love them dearly. I wrote a letter to them in the beginning of my book, Stepping Stones. And they're really the reason why people say, why did you write your book? I I wanted to learn how to live well, um, so that the years that I have left would be happy. And through my recovery program, they are. They are, um, I am very happy in spite of my losses. I mean, Carol, everybody has losses. Everybody has sorrows. Um, But how you learn to live with them, I I was determined not to just go get old and die um, and be a martyr and sad and wear a badge of grief. My badge is of joy now because I choose to look at, my life from a different perspective. Um, and I've, I've had a wonderful life. That's <laughs> wonderful to hear you say that and the way you are looking, not with regret, but with mm. your stepping stones. So let's talk about that. I'd like you to share as much as you would like about your book. Anything from, well, you've already mm. shared the motivation, but mm. tell us the story. Then I'll ask you questions as far as 
uh, the different points that you bring up. So share what mm. you'd like about your book. Yeah, I um, there's a scene in the beginning of my of uh, part one where I'm in France and my French mother catches me raiding the refrigerator at two o'clock in the morning. And um, I said in the book, so that was the first time that I've ever been confronted with my eating disorder. And there was a witness and that would make it real. So that is an illusion to, um, to, I mean, the illusion of mirrors is something I use throughout the book about how addicts tend to isolate themselves. I mean, we, um, we wear masks. We don't tell people what we do because there's a lot of shame and stigma. Sure. So I, I didn't tell people. It was when I started telling people about my eating disorder that I started to get well because I had a chance to get feedback from people. I think that's the right, whole right. of not telling people. So you don't get feedback because you don't want to change. So when we, the, the wonderful fellowship that I'm in, recovery fellowship, is we, we all, we have no secrets from each other. We share their, we use each other as mirrors to reflect um, on each other. We get feedback. We find out how the rest of the world perceives us and how, and that, and it's all a learning exercise. And there's no more shame and stigma there are just there are just so many millions of us out there. We are not alone. There's enormous beauty in the re, in the recovery fellowship. But the key is to not isolate. The key, like COVID now, my goodness, COVID has everybody isolated in their house, and unfortunately, a lot of people have gone back out drinking. Uh, they don't have the the comfort of the fellowship to, and the hugs you know, that we all um, love to get. So the mirrors, it, I know it's just a metaphor, but it, it, the idea mm -hmm. of sharing mm -hmm. who we are, who we really are, not not just some pretty picture that we want to project to the world, um, has everything to do with our self-regard and how we start to feel about ourselves, self-acceptance, self-affirmation. And, you know, after many years of not liking myself very much, I do now. Why is that? I don't know, years of work and reading and gratitude and getting my 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 sense of humor back. And just uh, life is so good. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to change. And that's the key. And that's why a lot of people eschew recovery, because they don't really want to change. You know, you can buy alcohol at gas stations. You can, you know, cigarettes or whatever. You, you know, our addictions, we are an addictive society where we're always looking for easy solutions to deal with our sadness. Those of us who don't want to use substances anymore just are learning to find other things to do, you know, that, that are healthier. I'd like to ask you something that is maybe totally off subject and yet totally on subject. And that is, you said something that triggered something in me in that recently I posed a question to a large group and the question was how do you think others see you mm. now half of the group came back with an angry response and said I don't care how other people see me I know who I am <laughs> and then the other part of that group said just what you had said to see ourselves in someone else's eyes like mm. a mirror mm. can so help our growth and mm -hmm. our you know recovery so mm -hmm. could you address that a little more because I just can't believe that like I said this question just came up and the anger 
response was what really surprised me. So how would you like to address that? I'd like to hear your views on that. I think to answer your first question, how do most people see me? I think I'm tremendously misunderstood often by my own hand because, you know, I have often historically projected a very confident, a very um, even happy facade. Yes. But it's been a facade. And that's how a lot of people see me because that's what I've been projecting, but not anymore because I don't wear masks anymore and I don't need to project a facade. I grew up in a family where appearances were everything. That's all that mattered. But now uh, I find, and I find that when I am myself with all my, you know, horrible behavior sometimes or horrible um, habits, people like you more because, hey, guess what? We're all part of the same um, broken humanity. (laughs) We're all, we're all the same, really. Um, Excellent. good things and bad things and just be who we are. And I think other people are disarmed when they realize that, hey, I'm just a broken person. I'm trying to get well. And every day, one day at a time, I'm feeling better and life is good. Interesting that you said that as well, because that's what happened when I published my memoir, the exact thing. I thought I had kept all this stuff secret, which a lot I did. But as soon as you put it out there, oh, my goodness, everybody's coming forward. And they're Mm -hmm. not judging you. They're saying, I went through the same thing. And they're relating with you. And that was, you know, so what you said about masks, oh, that is huge. And I sincerely Mm -hmm. appreciate you bringing that up. If we could all just be more real with each other. Exactly. A lot of time. (laughs) Exactly. But it's funny how it comes even through childhood, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. We always put our best foot out there for people to see. So what mm-hmm. else would you like to tell us about your book or what you feel your mission is or anything else? What would you like to share? Well, just, uh, uh, you know, many people say, well, do you think your book will be successful? Do you think you're making a difference? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what a successful memoir is. If I, I'm just carrying my message to other people about um, how I have dealt with depression. I mean, that's the underlining illness for me. And it goes back 60 years that I've just been shining a light on on that along with with many others. But I have, you know, I'm not looking for any more. The reward for me has already been given. When I see the the love in my grandchildren's eyes and, and, and my son and my, and Jean, my partner. And when I feel and see the love out there that to me is the greatest reward of all for me i I just my this is a disease of relationships addiction and to have mine you know coming full circle and and functioning happily is a great reward for me and i you know highly respect you wrote a memoir writing is a terrific a therapeutic tool and I feel tremendously rewarded and tremendously happy I'm glad that I've been given the gift of writing to um, move forward in my life beautifully said one thing I could add to that is the one of the benefits of writing is that I mean I used to be, memoir writing is a little tricky because we keep changing life keeps happening <laughs> and you know like what I wrote six years ago was a very was a fine book and you know it was all true but it wasn't I I still had more to say, and so I'm saying it in this book. Um, I had more to to examine and more more honesty to 
to talk about. Is it written as a story? How is it written? No, actually, that that was one of the stumbling blocks of actually writing it. Um, I had to I had to shape a new structure for the book. It doesn't have the chapter format. It has uh, 132 vignettes, which is the thing is it's okay. always because I had to make it readable short enough. You can't have a second 700 page book. Um, it had to be short enough, but it had to cover 70 years of uh, memoir, of course, is thematic. And so the 70 years of addiction had to be so it was easier and more readable to I remember one early chapter was called the seven year itch. And I was trying to put seven years in 10 page in a 10 page chapter. Well, it doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I was rushing things and 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 that so one of my early editors said, you know, let's try vignettes. Let's, let's do that. And it was a, it's like a snapshot of the incidents in my life that shaped my addiction. I mean, I could have written another 132 vignettes with happy, you know, things. My life had a lot of happy right, moments, right. Too, but they wouldn't be part of this book. What do you think is the biggest message that people will receive in reading it? Don't ever give up on second chances. That's awesome. And you had your second chance and look what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm really quite happy. And, and you know, you know my story. It's not any sadder or happier than, than many. But I've done a lot of work to try to reach a place. I mean, life is so short, and we only get one chance around the block, and I wanted to make the most of mine. I'm very happy to have found recovery and, uh, and the tool to use it. I'm, I'm writing another book now about a happy story, a love story about me and my oh, awesome. partner. Yeah. Yeah, because all, it's all part of recovery. You know, life is, I'm not defined by these two books. You know, there are other things that are part of me and that and that tell my story. And I'm just, it's still evolving, Carol. Life goes on. Who should buy your book? Other people who struggle with substance use disorder, other parents who struggle with children with substance use disorder. And I think that's a pretty big list of people. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere in this country it's a terrible epidemic especially now during covid so um that's a lot of people is there anything you want to address there about covid just that i understand that it's more that people with substance use disorder are more vulnerable now than ever they they don't have i mean they they go to zoom meetings i go to zoom meetings i miss a lot of people that i used to see in meetings but you know i'm no comment there. It's just this is an extraordinary time for us all, Carol. Right, and so right. people with with any disorders, you know, I guess it's a new challenge. So, um, but I I'm just very grateful that I have a, a a very simple. It's not easy, but it's a simple program that helps me, you know, get up every day and enjoy uh, enjoy the view and be grateful. And you know, it's 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 a discipline. Just like anything else, eating well, pruning your fruit trees, you know, just uh, how do I want to live? Well, this is how I want to live. And and I'm um, it, it brings so many rewards. I can't say enough about it. You have summed that up beautifully, and I really appreciate that because there are people who are struggling who need to hear that, you know what, this isn't the end. It's a new beginning, mm-hmm. and it is a mm-hmm. stepping stone. I love the mm-hmm. title of your book. 
because mm. we are all doing that and the more we learn how to do it one step at a time the more mm-hmm. the more we will be successful right. in whatever we're trying to accomplish That's so right. what are you what is your next book about my my partner Jean and I have traveled to just to most of the national parks in in America my first husband took me overseas in the foreign service and he showed me a lot of the world but Jean has wanted these past 26 years that we've been together to show me out my own country, which I didn't know. (laughs) I had never been to Yosemite or, you know, the Grand Canyon. And so it's about, and and we're canoeists, so canoe trips to Canada. He has showed me, we found Mount St. Helens. We had a lot of fun Mm -hmm. in 26 years, but there are some wonderful stories. So I'm already 70 pages into that. It's just, it's not about addiction. That's always a backdrop with anything I write, but it's just, a happy story because we're very happy (laughs) this is like the true hollywood story you know from being so down to being becoming your dream well yeah you know every yesterday we were out in the canoe and i was saying did you i I don't think it gets any better than this because you know we're we're facing you know you know what we're facing many more years behind us and and um good health Carol, that mm, matters so excellent. much to me. Yes. I'm in good health, and I and I'm you know spiritually, emotionally, I'm in recovery. I work at it every day. I I uh, I try to be my best, be the best I can be, uh, a, a very a very conscious effort, and it works. And all of us should do exactly the same thing. Well, it's hard. It's very hard, but I'm highly motivated. My grandchildren and my two remaining children are the joys of my life, and I want to be well for them and enjoy the years I have left with them. Well, that's a great way to end, and I really, really sincerely appreciate you bringing that up because you're right. It is that legacy that we're leaving them. They're going Mm -hmm. to see the good. They're going to be rewarded through what we have learned and taught them and also what they see and the relationship that we have now. So perfect. I really thank you for that. Thank you again, Marilee, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.